Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park on ESPN 1000. Chicago's new home of the White Sox. Good morning and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight, got you for the next hour, and I have great news. For White Sox fans, for baseball fans everywhere, pitchers and catchers have reported. Soon, spring training will be fully underway. We're just a few days away from full squad workouts and even uh, just a couple more days away from our very first broadcast for the White Sox here on ESPN 1000, February 28th versus the Brewers. Lennon DJ will have that game live on these very airwaves. God, it's going to be fantastic to have baseball on the station. It is awesome to have a team with aspirations of winning a World Series a part of our broadcasts here. Spring training is getting underway, and the White Sox have tons of questions All sorts of different lineup constructions, new coaches, new relationships, new starts to form here in spring of 2021. And quite frankly, I I think just a brief minute, like if you if you're a White Sox fan, really a a fan of any team, just kind of tuning in and anything. I think taking a minute to think about you know just where the sports landscape is right now and what it's going to take. For all 30 teams in Major League Baseball, all the assorted travel party that goes with it, the broadcasters, the beat reporters, the families of of players and front office folk, of of clubbies and of coaches and managers and training staffs. I mean, this is going to be a tremendous undertaking for at least the next couple of months. And it's going to be hard. It's, It's going to be, it's going to take rather yet another adherence to COVID disciplines and an understanding of the health and safety of everyone in the bubble and outside of it is incredibly important. And, and I know that, that baseball is doing the best they can while still playing baseball to make sure that they're undergoing safety protocols. But it is pretty remarkable that after just a 60-game season last year, that, that the whole of, of baseball, or really most of it, has gotten itself together to take a run at a full 162. And I couldn't be more excited. And I know White Sox fans feel very much the same way. More excited uh, about the about the potential for the 2021 White Sox. We've been talking about it for the last month and a half here on White Sox Weekly. Obviously, this is a team laden with talent, uh, some top-tier talent that should make a run at the AL Central and could make a deep playoff run, too. Nothing's promised to anyone, of course, but Rick Hahn in his spring training opening press conference put it pretty frankly, basically to start the press conference. At the very beginning, there were a couple of injury updates, which we'll get to, some minor stuff, but it sounds like Jace Fry, uh, the reliever, is not going to be ready to start the beginning of the season. Sounds like he could be ready to go shortly thereafter, but not ready to start. After the injury stuff was done, Rick Hahn gave really the the quote of the press conference and set the stage for what should be a really entertaining 2021. Have a listen. 
You know, as we sit here today, Bruce, the goal is to win a World Series championship. And so if we fall short of that, it would be a disappointment. Uh, now, look, we're obviously living in a unique world right now. And if we were to fall short of that goal, we'd certainly want to look back and try to figure out why, uh, what factors influenced uh, us falling short. But as, of all days, especially on the first day of camp, uh, not to mention what we've all been through for the last you know, several years preparing to get to this point, I think having championship aspirations is, is to be expected and, and to a man what people want. Now, obviously, I'm not Bruce. I'm Connor. But he was talking to everybody when he said it. Let me, let me clean things up, play it for you one more time. Let you hear what the GM of the White Sox expects of his team for this season. The goal is to win a World Series championship. And so if we fall short of that, it would be a disappointment. It should not be taken lightly or brushed over that the general manager of the White Sox has put those expectations out there as his pitchers and catchers have reported. Take joy in that, I think. Hold on to this for a brief moment. It's cold in Chicago. There is snow everywhere. Your car is probably still under five feet of snow. But let this, White Sox fans, warm your heart for just a minute. Do you know how many GMs in baseball get to legitimately say out loud and to the public that our expectations are to win a World Series championship? And if we don't get there, we will be disappointed. Not many. Not many of them. Handful every single year. And yeah, there are some areas the White Sox could probably shore up just a little bit. And sure, injuries could stop you here. And what if development doesn't come around on this side of things? But as we sit here now, as White Sox fans and, and everyone here at ESPN 1000, everybody around the country who covers the sport looks at the White Sox. This is a team that should make the playoffs. This is a team that has declared its intentions. And this is a team that's poised to get even better than it was in 2021 with some pretty realistic growth attached to it. Nobody's hoping for outlandish things one way or another. It's got a rotation of Giolito and Lynn and Keichel, one, two, three. It's got a handful of arms beneath that trio that have a potential to grow into something that's much more than just a guy in the rotation. It's got an offense that can click. It's got a cornerstone-type piece in Yoan Mankata that's beginning to feel healthy again, that is recording music videos again. We'll play a little bit of that later. It's, this is great stuff. This is absolutely great stuff. And the start of a spring training that White Sox fans can feel really good about. I certainly do. It should be a lot of fun to cover this team. There are a, a handful of newsy items from Rick Hahn's press conference and from the interview he did with Waddle and Sylvie uh, on Thursday, I believe it was. We'll bring you some of that in the next segment because I think it's important to hear how the guys at this station kind of spoke with Rick and, and kind of talked about the issues at hand in the season. Coming up a little bit later here in White Sox Weekly, around 9.30, we're going to talk with the athletic White Sox beat reporter James Fegan uh, James isn't necessarily James is athletic. He, he writes for the athletic, though. That's where the name comes from. Uh, we broke down. We're going to sit down and talk a little bit about Yasmani Grandal. We're going to talk a little bit about what this spring training may look like in terms of potentially 
adding a player or two should things get weird in the free agent marketplace. And we're going to talk about some of the things that the White Sox could do to perhaps shore up or protect themselves from the unexpected. All of that's for a little later in the show, though, because I, I want to focus on the expectations here. I want to focus on where the White Sox have set their sights, mostly because it's where the White Sox have set their sights. Going back to Rick Hahn saying that the expectation is to win a World Series or that this season will be a bit of a disappointment. Tony LaRusso was asked pretty much the very same question, really phrased slightly differently on Thursday during his, his um, Thursday media session. It was more so poised to him as your GM has talked about this. Multiple players in Lucas Giolito and Tim Anderson and the like have, have been asked about this. Nobody's hiding from the expectations here. What is your reaction to that? What is your message to the team given that? I think you have to confront the reality that we we have a real chance. <clears throat> and if you try to sidestep it, what happens you know, you don't you don't get serious about all the work that has to be done. Uh, it may surprise you at some point that the pressure is there. <clears throat> so I think it's really important that we recognize that we have a chance to be really good. Uh, but it's equally as important, and, and I and I don't take this to disrespect how good we can be, but. You look around, there are other really good teams out there. And the pressure is going to be for us to be as good as we can be because when you play and you want to get it to October and then beyond, uh, get ready for a lot of tough competition. So, number one, I think you got to recognize it, embrace it, but you also got to be realistic about all the work ahead. And there definitely is work to be done. You know, we talked last week and the week before uh, about the moves the Twins have made to keep pace or, or maybe even given some projection systems overtake the White Sox in terms of, you know, how those systems see the AL Central playing out. Adding Nelson Cruz is a big deal. Uh, re-adding him, really, if we're, if we're going to be straight about it. Uh, Angelton Simmons, Josh Donaldson in a full season. Those are all formidable pieces. I, I wouldn't rule the Twins out from being one of the teams that potentially in a few weeks here looks at a free agent marketplace that maybe has seen a guy or two that, uh, you know, a team might take a flyer on or even a, a level or rank or two above that and go, hey, let's an op- open up the purse strings again. Let's see if there isn't a, a reunion maybe with Jake Odorizzi who, that, that could work. Or perhaps there's a, another starter out there that could fill things out for us. I, I think the Twins are the kind of team where, just like the White Sox, Every marginal win matters. I, I think there's going to still be, and what I mean by that is bringing in an extra player that takes you from 90 wins to 92 wins, from 91 to 93, from 93. You know, each next win means more and more to you because that could be the win that brings you the AL Central. And we saw how important that was for the White Sox in 2021 clinching the playoff and sliding back for about 10 days or so, really kind of scuffling to find themselves after being assured a a playoff footing and then having to get things up and going again against the A's in a three-game set. Shoot, they could have been, they could have had the one seed. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for a guy like Lucas Giolito saying, we understood what we kind of let go of last year. We understand what it's going to take to change that. How we do have to, in his words, kind of step on throats. Or as Tim Anderson has put it over the last week, 
kill teams early. Make sure they're down. Continue to press the gas pedal. I appreciate that kind of conversation because, and, and I think you hear this in the NBA more often, but teams, even good teams, when they're starting things out, need to learn how to win games. It's not a perfect analogy from one sport to the next, but there's, certain, there's something like that that happens in baseball. And to be completely honest with you, even though the White Sox have been really great in nailing down leads, you know, Alex Colomay over the last couple of years has been very good. Shoot, you hand a lead to this White Sox bullpen over the last two seasons, 19 and 20. They have been pretty good relative to the league in salting that lead away. But adding a guy like Liam Hendricks, having a bullpen the way they do, you know, bringing in a starter like Lance Lynn allows you to, you know, seize those leads more often and then lock them down. Make sure that a team doesn't have space to get back up on you, as it were. And you can put them away with the offense you've already got on hand. We got a lot to get to yet here on White Sox Weekly. As I mentioned, GM Rick Hahn was on with Waddle and Sylvie Thursday afternoon. You'll hear a little bit of that when we come back at 930. James Fegan of The Athletic will be our guest here on White Sox Weekly. We'll definitely get into the big questions on the, uh, on the roster pieces that the White Sox will have to make decisions about over the next couple of weeks. That's things like, how does Michael Kopech fit into the roster from here on out? Where does Garrett Crochet begin this season? For that matter, what about the young Andrew Vaughn? Is that a guy that's going to be a big part of the lineup to begin the year? Or is he going to need some ramp up as well? We'll get to those. We'll get to more. You've got White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. On the new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the new home, the new home of the White Sox. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Happy Saturday morning to you. We're just a couple of minutes away from the conversation with White Sox beat reporter James Fegan. However, on Thursday, White Sox general manager Rick Hahn was the guest of Waddle and Sylvie, the afternoon show here on ESPN 1000. Thought I'd bring you some of the conversation the guys had with White Sox GM Rick Hahn. Uh, Kind of a fun thing. I should, there's a little background you need to know here. Or, or perhaps you know already if you're as big a Yohan Mankata fan as Rick Hahn is. Now, you figure, obviously, Rick Hahn is a big fan of Yohan Mankata. Of course he is. He, he wanted him back in the Chris Sale trade. He's a big part of the offense. Why wouldn't Rick Hahn be a fan of Yohan Mankata? There's a different facet to Yohan Mankata fandom now, though. Not just for Rick Hahn, but for, for White Sox fans, for me, for Len, for DJ. This matters now because... Yoan has released a music video for a new single of his, Disastre Personal. It's on his YouTube page. We'll tweet the link. Actually, you've probably already seen the link. We'll tweet the link again, just in case you've missed it. And the boys, Waddle and Sylvie, began the interview with uh, some of the music from uh, some music from the music video uh, so that Rick Hahn could kind of comment. I thought there's there's no better place to pick up their interview with White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. The music you're about to hear is from Yoan Mancata. This is Disastre Personal. Como disimular, que me vuelvo loco 
That's a renaissance man right there. Right there. Play baseball at a high level. Is the name of the song. And uh, there's a video that goes along with it. And of course, as we always do, we always put our, our guests right on the spot at the beginning of a relationship. Sure. And uh, Rick Hahn, how would you grade Johan Mankata's singing ability and music video ability? I, I got to tell you guys, that's my jam right there. <laughs> That is my jam. It's going to be my ringtone. And uh, hopefully that's our MVP third baseman, our MVP candidate third baseman. But uh, it's good to see that he's, uh, I guess we would now call him a six-tool player based on that ability that he showed there in that music video. Rick, do you also shop where where Mankata shops for one of those fantastic rompers I think he was wearing for you? Yeah, there's been a lot of times over the last few years when we've been on the road and, you know, our wardrobes have gotten mixed up, as you can obviously see. You know, you may see him occasionally in a quarter zip with a socks logo on it and then me wearing the the man romper on on the road it happens <laughs> that is that's awesome uh, rick some of the guys mentioned i think tim anderson said it i think uh lucas giolito also mentioned that last year they were very happy with what happened but they felt when you got towards the end of the season and into the postseason that maybe the, there was a lack of that killer mentality the killer instinct do you share that same evaluation of what you saw last year you know, I, I, I saw Lucas's and T.A.'s comments along those lines, and I, and I get what they're talking about. I mean, obviously, we were the first team in the league to, to clinch a playoff spot, sitting there in the one seed. And then over the course of the next two weeks, you know, the, the remaining regular season and then in the postseason, we just weren't quite clicking as the same team. And I don't know if that was, you know, as they put it, due to a lack of killer instinct or perhaps more along the lines of, and exhaling once you sort of accomplished an important goal. And then it was, for whatever reason, they had trouble refocusing going forward. Uh, again, that experience, that taste of the postseason is a positive. And, and one of the positives that comes from it, one of the many positives that come from it, is realizing sort of that level of intensity that needs to continue, not just once you, you know, meet that first mile marker, but enough to maintain it all the way through the finish line. Back to Mankata for a second. You know, w- there's a lot of guys who struggled last year. Do you believe Moncada's year is an outlier based on everything he went through? Absolutely. Look, it, it was a brutal and at times perhaps frightening eye-opener what he experienced last year in terms of uh, his, his COVID diagnosis and then more importantly, the, the toll it took on his body. I mean, here's a 25-year-old uh you know, peak athlete who, you know, obviously is coming off a a great year in 19 and the trajectory is on the up and up. Uh, And he was just gassed. I mean, you saw publicly uh, late in the season, we had a game in in Cleveland where he went from first to home. And, you know, by the time he got to the dugout, like the training staff and coaching staff had to like surround him because he couldn't catch his breath. We weren't sure he was going to be able to physically take the field the next half inning. There were also times that that weren't public, you know, over the course of the season, he'd go out for some pregame work and, you know, Super Joe McEwen would hit him some ground balls and eight to 10 ground balls in, and he's he's just gassed. And and so you saw the physical toll that this disease uh, can, can take upon people, much less, you know, someone at the peak of their athletic ability. It, it was frightening. That said, the good news is, knock on wood, uh, as evidenced by that, kicking music video uh <laughs> he is back to feeling himself he feels great he's strong he's gone through numerous workouts and and this should all be behind him now 
One of the other big stories of pitchers and catchers reporting, Rick, is is Michael Kopech being back with the team and being healthy. Uh, you've alluded to some sort of a, a maybe a special role to get him going all the way through October. Are you alluding that he could start the year in the bullpen? That's certainly a possibility, Sylvie. Here's the thing: we uh, and, and we've discussed this with Michael, and you know we can certainly make it clear that long term we view him still as a potential premium starter we think he's part of a very good long rotation for a long time but we have to be aware of two things one you know for the last two years he hasn't faced any hitters so we're not building up off of a very solid innings base right now it'd be foolhardy to think okay we're going to give this guy the ball every fifth day and he's going to be strong late in the season. You know, eventually he's going to run out of gas. The second element uh, is that we obviously have pretty lofty expectations around here. We hope to be playing and winning ball games deep into October, and we want to make sure that Michael Kopech is healthy and productive and, and part of that. What, what's the plan for Crochet as camp begins? Uh, you know what? Not entirely different from what I just described for Michael uh, in that, you know, long term, he still very much has the potential to be part of a, of a premium rotation. That said, limited pro experience, limited uh, innings base because of the year we all suffered through last year and someone that we want strong and productive deep into the season and through October. So I think uh, certainly in Crochet's spot, you know, we've we've talked publicly about the fact that he's likely part of this bullpen. Rick Hahn joining us. It's Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. We had Liam Hendricks on mm. uh, the day that he signed, and it was official. We were so mm. impressed. Um, obviously, he's a great pitcher, and he's established himself here in, in the last couple of years. We were we were really impressed with the intangibles of, of him sounding selfless. Was that one of the draws, too, with such a young team, having a guy like that in the bullpen with all those young guys? His makeup's outstanding. I mean, you 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 hit on it. The, the work ethic, the thirst for knowledge, the dissatisfaction with what he's already accomplished, and desire to continue to do more. I mean, he's gonna, he's going to fit in great, not just between the lines, but also you know uh, for this, the reasons you alluded to and what I just laid out in terms of his his presence with this young team. Uh, you know, yeah, I think he was he was available to the media I think an hour or so ago, and one of the things I believe he said was something like, "I need to earn this closer's job." And, <laughs> And, you know, obviously the expectations is he'll probably earn it. Uh, But that's the mentality he comes into. And, again, not too dissimilar from Tony. He's here to earn the trust and respect of those around him. And uh, you like guys that, you know, certainly aren't complacent with what they've accomplished. Rick, someone like you who's done the job for so long, you're always thinking about what's next. Does anything about this team going into the season keep you up at night? Yeah, unfortunately, it's a bad way to live my life. But you know, you're always <laughs> part of the gig. You you always worry about what could go wrong. And yeah, I think that uh, probably all 30 GMs, if you ask them, what's their biggest fear? It's 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 health. I mean, you you just want to get through these six weeks down here. Putting aside the whole pandemic element, uh, you just want to get through these six weeks here with everyone healthy and intact. And you know, not too dissimilar from probably the other 29 clubs. If we had an area where we'd want to add, it would be in from a pitching standpoint. You know, we're we're entering a year where, obviously, coming off a 60 game season, guys are going to be asked to ramp back up to levels that they haven't been at in over a year. And you want to make sure you have enough alternatives around to try to get us through those essentially 1,400 or so innings that we're going to need this season during the regular season alone, at least. 
That's White Sox general manager Rick Hahn on with Waddle and Sylvie Thursday afternoon. Some fun stuff with the Yohan Mankata video. I assume I assume that, that Disaster Personal has to be Yohan Mankata's walk-up music for 2021. I suppose we'll have to see. Maybe there's another track on the album that he'll actually want to walk up to. Uh, you may have noticed that while the boys asked him about Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopak and some other roster issues, they did not touch on Andrew Vaughn. That's all right. Because I'll talk a little bit about that and the other issues surrounding the White Sox as they have pitchers and catchers reporting this week with James Fegan of The Athletic. He is our guest here on White Sox Weekly. He is up next. Stay tuned. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new ESPN Chicago app. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We are joined by White Sox beat reporter James Fegan of The Athletic. He is our guest, and he speaks with us now. Hi, James. How you doing, man? Great to talk with you. Hey, Connor. Uh, great to be in sunny Chicago uh, with all my baseball friends. Uh, having a great time. Is there anywhere you'd rather be, James? The snow, the snow. There's the snow. It's wonderful. There's uh, plenty of places I'd rather be, but unfortunately, literally every step out of my apartment is a carefully considered uh risk to my safety well let's let's start there james you you are going to cover this season you will cover this spring you'll travel some what are the ways an intrepid reporter like yourself going to do differently want to change up some like where can the process of being a major league baseball reporter get better for you i would say that it used to be when i was like asking an interview subject hey, I have to turn on my recording app, I would ask, like, give me 30 seconds. Now, sometimes I'll be like, give me 10 seconds, because I got this down. It's a quick process. Uh, and then the app failed, and it took, like, 25 seconds with the Osmani Glendale today. But that's neither here nor there. It's a, it's a more streamlined process. When you look at the White Sox, um, Rick Hahn, actually, we, we just listened to a little bit of Rick Hahn on the show, and he spoke with Waddle and Sylvie yesterday. He was asked by, uh, I think Sylvie asked him, what keeps him up at night? about the 2021 roster. If you were asked the same question from Han's perspective, are, are there any things off the top of your head that would keep you up at night about how this team could break camp in 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think he mentioned pitching because that's what he always said. Um, not to diminish the uh, individual concerns about pitching depth on this organization. But, um, you know, you're in a situation where you got this great top three of the rotation. You've got a very strong bullpen, at least like from what you could think it would be, you know, the starting eight that you start the season with. And then, you know, you have the still in season, Ronaldo Lopez, uh, Carlos Redon bucket. Um, you'd certainly have more reasons to be optimistic about these, uh, maybe given the adjustments he's made, you, but you have start to have this unproven group and, you know, you have a couple options to kind of flip through, you know, Jimmy Lambert and Johnson Seaver debuted last year, but you have a lot of things where it's like uncertain. It's a lot about breaking right. I would think that's your concern as far as like, what do you do when things go wrong? Or what do you do if, you know, Dallas Keuchel's back acts up and you need you know, like a spot starts for two weeks, you know, stuff like that. 
I think it becomes especially acute in the age of COVID where, you know, a positive case or resulting contact tracing or just reshuffling of schedules, especially now you're trying to play all N62 like normal, like it's not in the middle of a pandemic where the depth issues can kind of pop up quicker and hit harder and, you know, persist for a week or two longer than, you know, anything you've really kind of accounted for before. It, it, it seems like a situation where normally we'd assess this roster and say like, you know, it's a little bit of a depth issue with, with pitching, but we'll see how they can navigate through it. There's certainly some upside. I feel like depth is going to be like it. They went from a surplus to, you know, spot starting drew Anderson last season in a 60 game schedule so much quicker than we could have anticipated. Obviously things are trending positively, but why we don't necessarily know that this is not going to be just, you know, twice as grueling depth wise, um, for pitching for a normal season just because of the environment that everyone's pitching in. Talking with James Feagan, White Sox beat reporter of The Athletic here on White Sox Weekly. You know, I'm, I'm with you. Depth is obviously a huge thing across Major League Baseball. And I know each and every GM, as they open up, are going to get asked questions about how creative, quote-unquote creative, they can be with their pitching in a 162-game season. Now, whether that alludes to the opener to piggyback starts, to guys getting some starts and also mixing in from multi-inning relief appearances or something. I, I think it's a fair question to ask every GM in baseball, but I don't know that creativity by itself gets the White Sox, creativity as it's defined in that question, gets the White Sox through their Garrett Crochet, Michael Kopech, all those sorts of different, Carlos Rodon even to a certain extent, those different injury-slash-usage innings issues they may have come september i mean ultimately you want a staff that makes you very uncreative uh you you'd you'd rather not be the rays you'd rather be the team that's throwing out you know randy johnson and kurt Schilling for nine innings uh, to close out a world series you want that type of situation and it doesn't seem like crochet necessarily i mean if you take away the fact that what his long-term goal is it sounds like for this year crochet is just the reliever in your bullpen from opening day like he's just another aaron bummer aaron bummer is really good and really valuable and you know really made that 2019 team uh look a lot better than they were with you know being a you know a multi-inning guy and it seems like crochet can be another guy in that group but it's not going to be somebody you can willy-nilly kind of flash between the rotation and whatnot and the fact that um, Kopech could be in this kind of hybrid role. Yeah, it's nice, but I think like the ideal situation, obviously with Kopech, would be if he could start regularly and be like an upgrade in that rotation. And that's where he'd have the most impact. It doesn't sound like there is the, uh, you know, I think the phrase that Hans says a lot is innings based for them to really feel comfortable doing that. And thus you're going to be mixing around and you know, maybe, you know, the whole even 120, 140 innings isn't as, as realistic as. Uh, it, it might have been in spring training of uh, 2020. I, I I think you're you're more looking for these really foundational pieces to kind of click in and give you very normal innings. Like if Dylan Cease is a very consistent six innings per start, 32 start guy, that really does a lot more for you than being creative. If uh, you know Carlos Rodon has this healthy year that we've been waiting on, um, you know, for four seasons now, that that's really what opens things up for you. Not um, being super creative with, with Kopech or, or, or Jamie Lambert. That's nice, but that's not really what's going to make everything click very easily. Is the backup catching job an open competition from how you understand things? Is there room 
to, you know, injuries aside, the way you could best put it together, COVID aside, the way you could probably best put it together, is there room for a third catcher on this roster as the White Sox break camp? Certainly initially. Um, certainly if, uh, you know, if Andrew Vaughn's not, um, you know, the opening day guy, you, you almost have to have uh, Mercedes or Collins um, to give you something offensively in that slot. And I think, you know, with the, Larry Garcia has always been this guy who um, basically counts for two backups uh, in outfield and infield. That, that gives you a bit more ability um, to, to carry a, an extra bat. Um, it seems like they've been pretty dead set on 13 pitchers, even though I don't think there's a specific limit on that. Um, so, yeah, there's potential for that. But that's really, especially once Vaughn is up, that becomes an extremely limited role um, for someone like Collins, who you, you know, for five years now, I've been trying to talk about his, his, his long-term future and, 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 and tapping into his ceiling. And I don't know if kind of really occasional at bat is what he's looking for. It certainly wasn't what he wanted um, last season. Uh, he talked about how he was better off in AAA, and it, it's certainly not what he's going for this season where he's trying to win that, that backup job. I don't think they bring in um, Luke Croy at all, or especially not Luke Croy picks the White Sox over three other offers he had if he didn't feel like that backup job was, was wide open. And I, I certainly think that's the direction they could go in. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there's a, a range of possibilities there. But I, I would think it's between LaCroix and Collins. We've heard a lot about Andrew Vaughn and the potential of, of him maybe even breaking camp with the team, maybe being at the end of the year the, the primary DH and anything, you know, within that spectrum as well. As, as you kind of heard from your White Sox sources about the plan for Vaughn for 21, what sorts of guys did you feel like you should reach out to to double-check on something like this, to make sure that, like, okay, what, what do I need to know about a guy who just hasn't played that much professional baseball yet? I mean, the rancor last year was that they were trying to call up Vaughn uh, or thinking about calling up Vaughn last season. So... I think they're from a level of we're already taking the cautious approach that we didn't just throw him in the middle of the playoff race then when we felt he was ready to do it. They've always been very much like this is a guy on a, a rapid trek to the majors. This is a guy who already has a plate approach to survive. Um, that, that This is a guy who got plenty of uh, experience against top-end pitching, and he's basically anybody who was, you know, Dane Dunning was facing Andrew Vaughn for, you know, the first last, few weeks that he was on the alternate side. Anybody who got called up uh, into the bullpen was facing Andrew Vaughn all the time. So they felt like he had top-level competition um, last season in addition to being a guy that they did not expect to really hold back in double-A for like a full year or anything like that. Um, so it, I, I always felt that it's a situation where they've marked him out since the end of last season as the guy. Like, you were asking about DH um, at the end of last season – you know, I asked Han, like, you know, in 2019, you didn't get a left fielder of any kind because everybody knew it was going to be Eloy. And 2020, you didn't get a center fielder of any kind because everybody knew it was going to be Luis Robert. Is Vaughn in that same conversation with DH? And he said, yes. Um, now, I think what played out with those guys is that they wanted to figure out um, service time and getting a year of control from them before they called them up. And I think it could be a very similar situation with Vaughn, just like it was with Nick Madrigal, who, you know, was called up uh, – you know, a week into um, 2020 season, which is exactly when he needed for to you know, get extra year control. I think it could be a similar situation with Vaughn. Um, I think it's notable that 
you get the, you know, he's very much in the mix for opening day uh, talk, whereas with Garrett Crochet, it's, you know, yes, the plan is definitely, they're unambiguous when they talk about him being the Matrix. So I, I definitely think I lean towards more him thinking he's going to get staggered a bit, but I don't think it's a question of they don't think he's ready or they're holding it back or they want more seasoning. I, I think they kind of made their decision when they didn't go out and get another uh, DH to, to back him up because they thought he was ready. James, this is also traditionally extension season for the White Sox, or at least coming up to it. Do you get the sense that there are conversations? I mean, the, they obviously have Lucas Giolito, who's prime candidate for a, a long-term contract, as difficult as that may be with a guy pitching as well as he has the last two seasons. Do you think that's in the works being talked about? Are there complications there because of COVID? I don't think that's necessarily going to – I don't think COVID or, you know, like this, this is stuff that's worked out through phone calls at this point. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that's really worked out. But yeah, it, it is certainly the time. And Giolito is somebody they've identified as being, you know, extension worthy since after his, his his breakout season. And you know, I, I I've heard that there's, you know, Giolito's all spoken both publicly uh, and, and privately about how happy he is with the the White Sox. And I, I think there's certainly an openness to a deal there. But I don't have anything that says like this is in the works or this is getting announced next week. And I, I think. Julio somewhere one who's in a position in his career with his both not imminent, but you know, he just got his first arbitration payment. He uh, can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel in spring training. You're not like negotiating with a guy who's pre-arb or anything like that, um, where he can kind of see free agency down the road and knows his earning potential. Has always had a keen idea of his earning potential back from you know his high school days, uh, where you know he, he he kind of fought a lot to get a good deal getting drafted out of uh, Harvard-Westlake, where I don't think it's going to be, you know, this really easy sign or this really below-market deal or anything like that. So I think that's probably the obstacle, is that you're dealing with a you know a savvy operator who knows what he's worth. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I think it's certainly potentially they have two interested parties, but um, I don't think it's necessarily as simple as, uh, you know, getting a guy who wants to be in the majors right away and, and agreeing to a deal, so... Um, it could happen. I don't really have anything to say that it's immediately going to happen. Spending a couple minutes with James Fegan of The Athletic. He covers the White Sox. you got White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. James, I, I wonder, you know, I don't think COVID's necessarily done messing with the marketplace of free agents. Um, I think baseball's negotiations, you know, between the CBA, the Players Union, and the, and the and the league about its CBA has something to do with negotiations with multiple players right now, too. If if you're in a spot, if the White Sox are in a spot rather where it's late, you know you've got the opener coming up, and and there have been marketplaces that have just cratered for some players. Do you think there will be a willingness to add where there might not have been earlier? What would it take marketplace wise for a, a team to change their plan? Some that would be really surprising. I mean, I think you know even as far as. Um weeks ago it was you know the, the word was that the white Sox were functionally done outside of minor league deals and we're trying to find the chop on that level um just for depth at this point so um i can't really see anything other than somebody being you know someone on that level or that tier being like all right well i really want an opportunity to find a team where I could break camp with a club or make a spot or, um, you know, make the opening day roster, but 
clearly that's not materializing, I will take a minor league deal. I will go to AAA and hopefully you know, tear it up and, and then earn a spot. I think maybe something like that. Um, but I, I'm not. I, I'm not of the notion that they're going to uh, all of a sudden. Um, Jake Odorizzi is still sitting around in March, and they're like, "Dang it! Here's turns out there was fifty million dollars under the couch cushions here. Uh, bring them on down." So I, I think they're functionally done as far as um, you know the major structure of the roster up until the deadline, which is where they're reserving to when they'd make another move. What sort of sense do you get from Yasmani Grandal, the, the kind of the center of the run prevention operation for the White Sox? Obviously, he's got to work with every pitcher. He's got a brand-new pitching coach in Ethan Katz to work with, a brand-new catching instructor in Jerry Naren to work with, a position the White Sox haven't had on their coaching staff in a little while. Where's his head at? How is he operating, I guess, from a, from a defensive standpoint as we open up spring? Uh, you know, he's, he's very much dive in the wool of that type of guy who uh you know only begrudgingly acknowledges his offense uh and is all about you know his pitchers and it's all about uh you know interfacing with Ethan Katz and um you know I think we got he got asked today like given the ramp up from basically being half time uh, as far as catching him maybe he caught like 32 33 games last year uh in his 60 game season to a full game spot where he's like the clear number one and we asked him like uh you know how many games would he be up for and he basically responded with how many you got <laughs> um, so i i think he's very much comfortable with that situation of being a number one he's very much somebody who wants to have this like firm idea of scouting every pitcher on his staff and um and to have the idea of the arsenal he, he's he's the guy who reached out to uh you know the proprietary um um, game planning uh, outfit codified for for maps on on his staff, and he, he talked to you know today a, a little bit about you know how he's trying to blend that with his own approach of making in game observations and reading swings and 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 handling over it. So I think he's a guy who I wouldn't call him a control freak, but I think he's very comfortable in that idea of he's this. Um, presence who is responsible for kind of you know delegating everything and, and managing the whole staff. So I, I think he's he's chomping at the bit for this kind of opportunity to, to be seen as uh, this leader and this this uh, this overlord of the pitching staff. I, I think that appeals to him a great deal um, because he's he, he said he's a similar mindset of, of Tony Russo and that that's a really obsessive uh, uh, guy who wants to see every angle. It'd be interesting to watch those minds meld over the season. James, really appreciate it, man. Great talking White Sox with you. We'll check in again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. That's White Sox beat reporter James Fegan. He was our guest here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. When we come back, you'll hear from Liam Hendricks and you'll hear from Yasmani Grandal. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the new home of the White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Hey, Chicago, the White Sox are back. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Close some things up here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. Had a lot on the show already, and there's more for you. You're going to hear from Liam Hendricks in a minute. 
You'll also hear a, a quick one from Yasmani Grandal. I wanted to get you kind of the, I don't know, kind of a large yes of camp as we've begun with pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, you heard Rick Hahn in his interview with Waddle and Sylvie a little earlier in the show. You heard Desastre Personal, Yoan Mancada's new single. Well, not the whole of it, but you can go find it, and we'll probably play the whole thing a little bit later. Um, I'm pitching to Len that he and I should cover it. He and DJ and I should cover it because DJ's got some pipes too, man. That guy can sing. I don't know if uh, the next guy you're going to hear from can sing or not. He can do a lot of other stuff. Liam Hendricks was signed by the White Sox to be their closer, although he has mentioned a time or two that he's not the closer yet. He's just a reliever who has to earn the job. I got the sense that he will earn the job. And that's kind of talk that happens in the offseason. That kind of, you know, let's go win. We, we haven't won anything yet. There is still a job to do kind of thing. You heard some of it from Tony La Russa earlier in the show. And that's all well and good. I expected some of that to kind of fade away. The guys kind of have roles as we started spring training, as we started pitchers and catchers reporting. And yes, even this soon. But that hasn't stopped Liam from talking about one particular point that I found really interesting when he first signed, something that he hasn't stopped talking about, and that's his his willingness to go pitch and pitch often for this team. He joked around on ESPN 1000 a couple of weeks ago when he was signed that he wants to throw 80 innings, which is a lot for a reliever in this day and age. He spoke to reporters on Thursday and reiterated the fact that he's – He's here to pitch as much as possible for the White Sox. I, I, I want to pitch, and I've reiterated that to him a couple of times. Just like, look, I want the ball, whatever situation, whatever time it feels like. And if there's a, a string of games where we're winning by a lot or it's not a position where I'm able to pitch, I would like to make sure that I don't go more than four days without pitching. Um, and then in that case, like I can go back to back, back to back to back, and then We'll see how it goes. But, no, I really haven't uh, spoken too much about usage or anything like that because we haven't even had any spring training games yet, so that has, really hasn't come up. But, no, I, I, just, I want the ball. I want to pitch as much as I possibly can. I want to try and put uh, do as well as I can for the team that uh, if they need me in a certain situation, they need me. If they don't, they don't. And there's other guys out there that can handle the job as well. You know, obviously there's a ton of value in having Liam Hendricks pitch as much as he seems to be willing to throw. Um, the A's got a ton of value out of Liam Hendricks being more than just a three-out guy. Tony La Russa is a, a manager who has understood that breaking convention in bullpens has its advantages. And I wouldn't necessarily say that, that Liam Hendricks pitching as much as he did with the A's or as much as he wants to here in the cut you just heard is breaking convention. We've seen some relievers, not many, but some relievers kind of do that multi-inning role and provide great relief. Ooh, that's a terrible pun <laughs> to their team in doing so, right? Especially once it gets to the playoffs and you condense the number of relievers you're using anyway. The circle of trust kind of shrinks some. The hope is that the White Sox have as many weapons throughout the season as they will in the playoffs. They'll be kind of a multi-headed monster and be able to get all sorts of outs in all sorts of different ways. But if Liam Hendricks is getting more of them, that means that you've got weapons like Hoyer and Foster and Crochet and maybe even Kopak, depending on how things shake out, to go and take down tough spots in rosters, to handle extra innings, to come in and provide a different look for three batters if need be. Those options make the White Sox versatile. Those options make the White Sox tough. And Liam Hendricks pitching the way he did for the A's last year 
will make the White Sox in 2021 a lot tougher as well. One more cut I'd like to play for you here before we end White Sox Weekly for the morning. Yes, Monty Grandal talked with reporters as well. And a simple question was posed to him. How are you getting along with your new manager, Tony La Russa? I thought the answer was interesting because it, it, it really did speak to the connective tissue that this game has regardless of the age difference between a manager and a player. Here's just Monty. I feel like he kind of looks at the game uh, almost the same way that I do, where I want to make sure that we cover everything from you know head to toe, no matter what, from the beginning to the end and afterwards in order to be successful. And I think that's why he's had the success that he's had in his uh, managerial career. Grandall went on to mention that just about every time he's been at the Camelback Ranch facilities at CBR, Tony La Russa has been there as well. It sounds like a lot of people are, are real devoted to making this 2021 season something that fans remember for a real long time. Here's hoping that's exactly the case, and we feel pretty lucky to be able to bring it to you here on ESPN 1000. To that end, you may want to write a couple of things down as we end the show this morning. Our spring training broadcasts are set. The dates are out. You should go follow at ESPN White Sox on Twitter to begin with. Uh, I've retweeted it as well, at C1 McKnight. Lens retweeted it. DJ's retweeted it. The White Sox retweeted it. It's all out there. But our first broadcast of spring will be February 28th versus the Brewers. The 205 start. We've got the March 2nd game versus the Rangers. We've got March 7th versus the Rockies. The 8th against the Dodgers. We've got that March 15th date against the Cubs. We'll get March 17th against the Dodgers and, and a handful more before we get out of there, too. We're also going to broadcast the final game of the year, March 28th against the Diamondbacks, or final spring training game, I should say. And yeah, I don't want to give away too much right now, but we are planning something fairly fun for the March 28th broadcast against the Diamondbacks. I, it's, a, it's a thing that some stations have tried that I think is, is pretty cool about spring training broadcasts. It's a tease for you. All I'm saying is the March 28th game against the Diamondbacks, we will absolutely have something fun for you here on ESPN 1000. Hope you enjoyed White Sox Weekly this morning. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to our guest, James Fegan. Thanks to Waddle and Sylvie for uh, allowing us to play part of the interview with Rick Hahn. Truly appreciate it. We will be back next week for more White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. You've been listening to White Sox Weekly. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new ESPN Chicago app. White Sox Weekly. Saturday mornings at 9 on Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000. Chicago's new home of the White Sox.